I feel like uh, it was just supposed to pray today to start out. Um, let's pray. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive us. Lord, we're sorry for what we've made, church. Lord, we repent of what we've forced our church to be the last 30, 50, 60 years, Father. Lord, your heart grieves. My heart grieves. Father, break us down and make us whole and right. Father, we know the church is not about a building. Forgive us about that. Lord, we know that the church is not about money and, and, and all the money things that we do. Church is not about money. Father, forgive us. We've made it about teachings and programs and the worship music. Lord, forgive us and we repent for that is not what the gospel says. And that's, what not, that's not what church is supposed to be. Lord, forgive us that we don't preach a full gospel because we feel comfortable in church too often. Father, we come in the name of Jesus and ask that you allow us not to be ashamed of the gospel, not to be ashamed to be a Christian, and not to be ashamed of the church that we go to. Lord, bring clarity to us that we will love you greater and we will love your church we love you, King Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. amen. If you're new, welcome. We're grateful that you're here today. We are on a mission to clarify what church is. What is church? We need to understand what the church is and how it works and how it moves us. What is the church? We need to take it from a macro level and put a microscope on it so that we can understand how it works and how it moves us. Here's what Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23 say about the church and what it's supposed to look like. This will be our memory verse. It says, and he, that being God, has put all things under his, that being Christ's feet, and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, that's the NRSV version. Let me give you the way that I read it and learned it a long time ago. It says this, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him the head over all things to benefit the church. Let's say all things. All things in your life, all things in my life, all things in your neighbor's life, in your spouse's life, and your kid's life. And says, and this is to be made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Everybody say all things. He fills all things everywhere for his benefit. We are here today to celebrate Jesus Christ. We come Sunday and Wednesday, Sunday and Wednesday to celebrate Jesus Christ. And today we're celebrating him in our 80s garb. No? I mean, geez, what happened? It just died right there. We're celebrating. Who? Raise your hand if you were told that you can't have fun at church. Yeah, that's wrong. That is completely wrong. I don't know who told it. Jesus had fun. He was having fellowship. He also was encouraging, convicting, and challenging, but he wasn't afraid of having fun. And we are trying to have fun on Loving the World Day. It's 80. Hey, Lee, you look good, bud. I love the hairdo, bro. That's awesome. 
you know what, uh, my, uh, you don't have to look online of, to what to wear if you lived in the 80s, right? Last night, it spent about uh, 30 minutes trying to peg my pants. Anybody remember pegging the pants? It was horrible. I would peg them, and i put my foot through, and I'd destroy it. And my wife's like, you're really not going to sew those. I'm like, I think I am. <laughs> so I want to share a little bit about the 80s. Uh, see if you can find me, and this is my sixth grade picture. See if you can find little Jeffrey in there. All right, let's move it to the closer one to get a better idea. Oh, isn't he cute? That's 1980-81. That's sixth grade. Man, good-looking kid. Got the hairdo. Got some slip-on vans. Man, that's golden right there. All right, let's look at my wife. Anybody remember the big hair days? This is actually probably 90, 91, 92. But uh, I don't know, in the 80s, Aquanet was the number one thing in the world. And so, actually, this is 90s because you know her hair's a little lower. So she's probably like 90, 90. And then here's the last one. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but this is rocking a mullet on the left side. Look at my beautiful sister. Hey, if you're new, welcome. But look at the eyes on the guy with the mullet, dude. His eyes are a little bit. I think it's because of the chlorine in the pool or something. But uh, his eyes are a little bit shady. You need to check it out. But that's me and my sister. And, man, uh, I wish I could do the mullet today, but I don't have the gut. So we're grateful. Here's the, de- here's the deal. We're talking about clarifying the church and trying to figure out what the church is. And it can be fun. And it also can be powerfully painful when you dig into it because a lot of things happen. People die. Marriages get uh, broken in relationships, and the church is to come around you and support you. And it should be fun. It should also be uh, a, a struggle at days to come to church because you're broken. But we're trying to clarify that. And one of the things that you need to know about this church, if you weren't here last week, we're moving. We don't know where. We don't know when. We don't know how. We don't know if we got the money for it, but we know that God has challenged us to move. Yeah, amen. That's good prayer. And then the second thing is that God has challenged us not to ask the the church for uh, all this money to support it. We're not going to do a building campaign. If you want to give, we'll support it and we'll use it. But we're not going to ask the church to do a building campaign. We're going to challenge you like Dustin challenged you. We're going to put this at the feet of Jesus and have him speak and believe that he's going to bring the provision and the place and the the, the time and effort to get there. We're going to trust in God. And the truth is, someday in the near future, we're all going to be blown away that he's put us in this place. And it's going to be a great place, even if it looks crappy. It's going to be a great place. Because that's where he wants us to go. Because we believe in a big God, and it's going to be a testimony. And if you've ever been a part of moving a church, we are going to be the, the light of the community for a little while. Because people are going to go, man, this church is finally in its own place 24-7 to do a ton of great work. So we're excited about that. And the only thing you need to do is pray. Right now, pray. Pray. We need 10,000 hours of prayer. We started the church with 1,000, and this next time, it's going to need 10,000 to get us to where we're supposed to be. So thank you for that. For the next few weeks, we're doing this amazing sermon series that my buddy Jeremy put together. It's called Church Clarified. He's got a wonderful brain. He's gifted in so many ways, and he's laid out this Church Clarified. And what we're trying to do is bring a microscope on what does the Bible say about the church? Do you know what your church is and what it's supposed to be? And what churches you've been at, and have they followed this or have they not followed that? We're going to look at some of the illustrations and images to help us understand the church. Here's some of the images. The body. The an army, 
a flock. And today we're going to talk about the bride. Now, I was taught, uh, I was listening, I listened to a lot of sermons and read some some. Um, some commentary, and one of the commentaries I read is Wernsby, Warren Wiersbe, and he says, don't get caught up on one image. Like today we're going to talk about the bride. Don't focus on only the bride. Use all of them to help refine and build and make your faith stronger. Don't get focused on one image of who Christ is. Don't get focused on one image of what heaven is. Focus on all of them and let them build you and make you a more complete, fuller faith. That's what Christ wants for us. So today we're going to talk about how to clarify the church. Now, the only way that we can really understand that is to look at what Jesus said about the church. Jesus said only two times he talks about the church. The first time he talks about the church is when he says that every believer in all the churches all across the world are part of the church. And we call that the capital C church. Then the next time he talks about the church, he talks about a group of local believers that come into a congregation-like journey, and he says, all these people are the church. That's the little seat church. Journey, we are a kingdom-based church. That means that we challenge people to go to any church that preaches the gospel, that believes in the Bible, and makes Jesus Christ their senior pastor. And if that's not this place for you, then go find that place, plug in, serve, become a part of it, and watch your life flourish in Jesus Christ. That's what the job of the church should be, and you have a responsibility to do that. The Bible says that God makes his home in our heart. Christ makes his home in the church. And he loves the church. So that means you should love the church. And need to love the church because it will make you a better person. Now, the question is, what is the church to you? Is it the bride? Or is it something else? It reminds me of a sermon uh, I got this crazy brain. I remember all these sermons, probably almost every one that I've ever heard. I remember a lot about what was taught. And the, my friend Rowan at Open Church taught this message a long time ago, a series. It was, is, is church a home or is it a hotel? Right? How do we treat a hotel? Oh, no, just leave the towel there. Leave the stuff on the floor. Don't pick it up. Don't make the bed. It doesn't matter if you, you stain something. It's like, oh, somebody will take care of it. Throw a few bucks at it and we'll stay here for a couple days or a night and we won't worry about it. We don't really invest in a hotel. We actually want the least cheapest, best hotel we could ever get, right? Versus a home where we try and make it our own home. Livable. Inviting people in. Having a space that we can really celebrate. Is church a home to you or is it just a hotel? You throw a few bucks at it and you know somebody else will do the work. Well, we need to figure that out. Today we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 5, and this week, I don't know if you guys know how we figure out messages. Jeremy kind of lays them out and gives us a whole platform, and then I start to pray, or Jeremy, or Dustin, or Odell, or whoever's teaching, starts to pray and ask God, what are we supposed to say? It's not like a script. You pray, Lord, what does the church need to hear today? How do we clarify the church? And we start to pray. And God said, read Ephesians chapter 5 and focus on verse 25 and 26. But we're going to read it in full context so that you understand that I'm trying to stay close to exactly what the text says. So if you're able to stand, let's read from Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to, be, I'm going to read uh, like 12 verses. It's a section that's all together. But really, I'm only going to focus on a couple verses. But I want you to see that it's read in full context. That's how we grow. And here's what it says, Ephesians 5, 21. And further... Submit to one another out of the reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husband as to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything that you do. Now, I feel like a ninja woman's going to come and kick my Bible out of my hand right now because that, that, that's tough scripture for women, especially today. Let's continue. Husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy without fault or blameless, it would say in some. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love, uh, actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of this body. Here's the last few verses. As Scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. This is the great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are. So again, I say, each, must, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and his wife must respect her husband. Let's just pray for a little bit. And if you're here today and you really need to hear from God, you're in a tough time in your life, ask God to speak through this text and through the words. And I promise you, you'll receive something more than you could ever imagine. So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for these words. We thank you for the strong words Paul writes to this church. And Lord, I pray, God, that you will build in us a new faith, a better faith, a love for your church, your bride. And I pray that there will be greater salvation, an experience of our salvation to grow. I pray that you will reveal your heart to us, Lord, through that Holy Spirit. And Lord, bring transformation right before our eyes so that we can celebrate the miraculous things that you do in our lives. We love you, King Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Go ahead and be seated. I don't know about you, but for women today, those are tough words. In, in 1986, I mean in 2019, little 80s joke, no humor today. Uh, there's coffee out there if you guys are asleep. It's 1130, so you guys are nap time or something. But here's the thing. In 2019, women don't like these words because women have a movement, and they're moving in a way that's transforming. And I'm, a, I'm about that for sure because I'm raising daughters. And I believe that these girls can take over the world. And I want to speak some freedom to you about those first few verses, the, the one about the women, so that you understand it, okay? Nowhere in the Bible is it taught that a woman must submit to anyone other than her husband. That's what it says. No man has the right to have a woman submit to him that is specified only to her husband. This means that she is any, she's nothing less to a man. That's not what it says. She is an equal. They are co-equals. They are co-heirs in Christ. And Jesus submitted to the Father, and both are equally submitted to God. If you don't believe that, look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. It's a place that we talk about where it says, Husbands, a woman might be a little bit weaker, but she is co-equal and a partner in your relationship with Jesus Christ. This is actually allowing women to grow, and that's... That's why there's a revelation and, and a, a revolution, I mean, of women in, our, in the text today, in this world, because God has allowed that to happen, and we're excited about that. So let's, let's go on and see, because husbands have a tough job too, women. 
and they need to learn to submit to Christ. And I'm really only going to focus on 25 and 26 because I really believe that's what God wants us to talk about today. So let's read. Husbands, this means love your wife, just as Christ loved the church. He gave his life for, uh, up for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of this world and word. And this actually is, a, a, that this word here is used, and it's, it's, it's like a Jewish uh, tradition. It's kind of what we talk about in baptism in Jewish days. It was this cleansing that they would do to, this purification and saying be purified and made holy by the washing of God's word his word is a living water it's a stream to bring us to a place of wholeness notice what Paul didn't say he didn't say hey guys Jesus says love the church the way that you love your wives wives is that how it works no we do not love our wives the way that Christ loves the church. Men, we have a lot of work to do to love our wives that way. That's not what the text says. Here's what the text says. It says, thank God it's what it says. Husband, love your wife as Christ loves the church. The union between Christ and the church is the model for a Christian marriage. Paul isn't saying marriages show us how Christ loves the church. Paul is saying marriages look to Christ, husband and wife, and look to the church and to Christ to see the bridegroom and the bride and how they work together. So if you're single here today and you're looking for a marriage, you look to the Christ, uh, you look to the bridegroom and, and, and bride to see how you're supposed to act so that that one day if you are to get married, God will allow you to have this blessing in your life. The relationship between Christ and the church shows what God intended us to be in marriage. It shows us an example. And, and, and we're supposed to discover that when we read this and we want to be married or we want to have this beautiful relationship, we need to look to what it says. Here's what Paul writes at the end of Ephesians chapter 31 and 32. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. The two are united as one. Sounds like it's marriage. It sounds like, Jeff, I don't know if you're talking right, but wait, listen to what it says in verse 32. It says, this is the great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. The way that we look at marriage is, should be through the bridegroom and the bride, the bride being the church. That's what we're in here today. Now, here's what happens when we talk to people. I do a lot of premarital counseling. I do marital counseling. I do a lot of it. I love it. It's my favorite part of the job. I love every part of it. And what happens is a lot of times people will say, well, Jeff, I was raised in a dysfunctional family. Can I raise a hallelujah? We all were. You know, it doesn't matter how dysfunctional yours was. Maybe yours was on the spectrum of yeah, cray cray. But we all had dysfunctional stuff, and we need to deal with it. And so we can't use that as an excuse because that doesn't make sense. We hear, well, I don't know what a good husband or a good wife is. Look to Jesus and look to the church. That shows you the, uh, the avenue of how to make this work. You can't blame your mom or your dad if they were great or not. You have to look to the church. This is what we're supposed to do. Now, how do we look to Jesus and say, how can he teach me about being married because he wasn't married. Well, I'm telling you, his marriage is the bridegroom is married to the church and the bride. And you need to look at that relationship on how that works so that we can understand how to be a better husband and a better wife. We look to the bride and the bridegroom to see how they work together. This is what we understand. Christ is the bridegroom. Church, you are the bride. Many times people say, well, I struggle with relating to God or to Jesus because I had such a horrible father or such a horrible parent. 
I want to give you some freedom today. You guys want to hear some freedom? Here's some freedom. Nobody comes to know God by having a good father. Let me say that again. Nobody comes to know God by having a good father. Nobody comes to know God by having a bad father. We come to know God through Jesus Christ. And we come to know God by the relationship in Jesus Christ. We come to know God through our relationship. We don't come to know God through our parents. We have to have our own personal relationship. To get to know God, you will discover what it means to be a good father. When you get to know God, you truly understand what it means to have a good father or have a terrible father. If you were raised by a bad father and you know God, you're like, my father was nothing like that. There was no attributes. If you had a great dad, you come and go, man, my dad really did a pretty good job growing me as a, as a human being. To get to know God, you will see if you had a good father or good parenting at all. To get to know Christ, you will then see our, if you're a good husband. That's what it says. Men, your job is submit to the church, to, submit to, to, to be a part of the church and to submit to Christ. My wife yearns and probably prays that I submit to Christ to be a better husband. And the only thing that can change me is submitting to Christ. And if I do that, the outpouring of my life should be an honorable, beautiful husband for my amazing wife. Christ and the church and that relationship is a model that you and I need to follow to build in our life. And we need to learn to love the bride of Christ. This is good news. God in Jesus Christ's redemptive love changes us no matter what the background is. He came from Nazareth. It was a horrible town. It would be, uh, I'm not going to pick on Newberry or Oxnard or anything. It wasn't a favorite place in the community. It was a place that it was not the best place in town. Everybody said, Nazareth? What good comes from Nazareth? It's not about your background. It's about where you're at and where you need to be with God. And how much you love Jesus Christ and how he works in your life. That's the message. How do we know this is true, Jeff? You should be asking that question. This sounds good in theory, but is it really true? Well, here's the thing. The apostle Paul writes to a pagan church in Ephesus and says, listen, none of you were raised by Christian parents. None of you were raised by Jewish parents. You don't know the law. You don't know anything. The only thing you have is the gospel and the relationship between Christ and the church. And that's how they grew to become good fathers and good husbands and good wives. As they looked at how Christ and the church were together. And in that, we now all can celebrate and understand that G Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. And we look at that beautiful relationship. And, 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 and it's, a, it's powerful to understand that. But it's even more powerful to love the church and be a part of the church. So how does Christ love the church? Let me give you four things, and I need to do it quickly because I want to get to the back end of the message here. Four ways. The first way, in verse 25, it says, Christ gave himself to the church. It says, Christ loved the church so much that he gave himself to the church. How does he love? He gives everything. He paid the price, any price, whatever it takes for her, I'm going to pay any price to make her right and make her whole. I'm going to endure any pain to make her right and whole. Listen to what it says, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. We're going through the book of Romans on Wednesday night, verse by verse. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for me. Why would someone come into this world and do something for me before I've done something for him. If you're a parent like me, I force my kids to clean the garage to get the gift after the garage, right? 
All day I've been giving her the headphones going, you do the work, you get the love that I have for you. Came out of my pocket. That's not what Christ did. He said, while you were still sinners, while you guys were all distant and showing me uh, the, the backside of your head, I died for you, Christ said. And in that death, I loved you and you were to learn to love me back and watch God work and change your life through that love. That blows me away. I, I, I feel like I'm a pretty decent parent, but I don't love like Christ loves. I still have a lot of room to grow. He endured, he suffered, he forgave so that the bride can be, be lifted high. We need to give ourselves. The second thing is Christ leads the church. We see that in Ephesians 5.23. Christ takes initiative to lead the church. It says Christ is the head of the church. At this church, I need you guys to take comfort in this, that our senior pastor's name is not Jeff Rodriguez or Jeremy Kays or Jeff Barnett or Dustin. It's Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He is the head of the church. There was a group of kids in last service asking me all kinds of questions. And I said, ah, you should be asking Jesus. I'm just one of the pastors here. Because he's our lead pastor. And that's what it says. He leads us. He takes initiative. The church is always blessed by what Christ is up to. You know that Christ is always up to something. He's always doing something. When you look at church history. You will see Christ always doing something. One of the great things that we study as Christian pastors is we study revival. Anybody want revival? Yeah, we want revival. So we look at revival and we see Christ. As revival starts, usually it's because of persecution. It's usually when the church is at the point of dying, that's when revival comes. The church in Camarillo, the church in Ventura County, it's struggling it's near death because they're closing their doors because nobody loves the bride, but Christ is going to lead us through this process and he's going to bring blessing and glory, not for you, but to glorify God and to make the church what it's supposed to be. Christ is leading us. Even though it seems like it might be going negative, he's really doing something amazing and, and positive. Does anybody know what Christ is going to do next year? If you do, you should be up here. I have no idea. We might be moving. We might still be here in a year. But I know this. In one year from today, there are going to be tremendous blessings. There's going to be tr tremendous praise of what he's done. And there's also going to be some struggles and trials and breakups and death and, and issues. But he's going to lead us through that process. And at the end of the day, we're going to claim victory in Jesus Christ. The third thing is, is Christ nourishes the church. Here's what it says. No one has ever aided his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cared for the church. All right, I'm going to stop for a second. I'm going to tell you my joke. I can't take it anymore. I got my Pac-Man shirt. This is my superhero, the one that I've always lived for. And here's why. He's got a, he's got a mouth always moving, and he eats. That's his spe special strength. So that went better over second service. But anyways... Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here next week. Uh, he nourishes the church just like you and I nourish our own bodies. We get up. Who, who missed breakfast today? Well, you're too late now. It's lunchtime. So, yeah, you've missed it completely now. So now you got to move on to lunch. But for the most time, who's going to miss lunch and dinner today? Look at nobody. Nobody's fasting here. We should be fasting and praying. We're getting a building, people. 
Nobody's fasting and praying because we're nourishing our body and working on our body to be built up. And that's what Christ does. Simply put, he's building up the church. He's nourishing it. He's protecting it. He's feeding it. And he builds it up so that it can flourish. Even though it might look like it's dying, we as our church are not going to let it die in this particular place because we are on fire for Jesus Christ. And we are going to flourish because he's feeding us. He's speaking to us. He's building us up so that we can be strong and we can be a light on the hill. You've just got to decide if you want to be a part of the bridegroom and the bride and their relationship. I am. I'm taking my family, and I'm hoping that I'm taking a bunch of people like you with us right into the throne room of Jesus Christ. Amen? The fourth one is Christ will present the church to himself. Do you know one day there's going to be a wedding feast? Christ and the church are going to come together. Anybody been to a wedding recently? Listen, I do a lot of weddings, and nobody likes to listen to the pastor during the wedding. They're like, blah, 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 blah. Let's get to the dance floor and get to the feast, right? The whole time is, what are we eating for dinner? When's the music start? And hopefully it's a, no ho- it's a hosted, right? Nobody listens to the pastor. There's one, listen, this is the thing. There's going to be a moment when the church and Christ come together as one, and it's going to be the best feast you've ever imagined. It's going to be a day that we're all praying for, and it will be awesome. You decide if you want to be there. Here's what it says in 527. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot, a wrinkle, or any blemishes. Instead, she will be holy without fault. In the 80s, I was always looking for Clearasel for no spots or blemishes. As I get older, I'm looking for, I don't know, what is it, Retin-A or something to get rid of the crow's feet or something? Always looking for some cream, but when we get their church, none of that's going to matter. We're going to have no blemishes if we really love the bride. I hope that makes sense. I don't know if you guys know this, but the church is, isn't always an attractive place. There's a lot of brokenness in the church. You know, one of the saddest things that I was grieving for is we need to come to church broken and really show who I am. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Or hey, hey uh, so-and-so, how are you doing today? I am horrible. My friend died, my daughter's acting up, my son's distant, somebody's strung out, whatever's happening, we need to be honest, but what we do is we put on this fake stuff, and it doesn't help us. The church needs to be presented. Sometimes the church needs to be ugly because that's what happens. Because it's not attractive, that doesn't mean that we don't have a glorious future. Let me give you an example. The church is this radiant bride of Jesus Christ. It's this radiant, beautiful bride. I do weddings and I, and I see someone walk down the aisle and every time I see the bride, I start to cry. No matter if I know her really well or not. Because I'm so fired up about that part. It just blows me away that these two are going to be together forever. The bride is radiant. There's a man named Michael Griffith. He writes this book called Cinderella with Amnesia. And he kind of gives this analogy. So let me put it to, give it to you. Anybody know the story of Cinderella? Stepchild goes to the ball, has a great time, meets Mr. Wright, captivated by him, has to leave by midnight, leaves her shoe. He goes looking for her, right? Looking all over town. Where's this one that fits in this glass slipper? He finally finds her, and guess what happens? She's no longer this glamorous woman. She's in her sweatpants. <laughs> I'm looking at my wife, because that's what happened to me. I had this beautiful bride, and now I get sweatpants. And <laughs> I'm not in trouble. This is the truth. 
536, we've got sweatpants on and everything. And so, and the truth is, that beautiful bride was the one that he wanted. It's the one that I want. Right? Captivated by this. She's in her rags. She's despised by her sister. She's oppressed by her stepmother. Cinderella is a wonderful picture of the church, too. It's this beautiful picture. Sometimes it looks a little bit ragged, doesn't it? The church is ragged. The message and the worship and the pizza bites, everything's off. But that's just church. Sometimes they have ugly, uh, uh, wicked stepsisters and brothers who despise her and count her of little value. Sometimes there's this evil step monster who persecutes her. But at the end, the church will be brought by the prince into the palace. You need to remember that and you need to live in that. The church is going to be brought by the prince into a wonderful palace. Something that we can't even imagine right now. Michael Griffith takes this picture and says, The church is often like Cinderella with amnesia. The church is like Cinderella with amnesia. Our greatest problem is that we lose sight of our prince and our glorious future. We need to remember who we are and who we belong to. That the prince is going to bring us to that palace. And there's going to be this union and this wedding feast that's going to be amazing. More than our mind can imagine. And at the end, that's what we're living for. What you're living for today, useless, meaningless. We need to be living for what's to come. Here's what it says in Revelation. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him, for the time has come for this wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. Here, praise the Lord, it's time. There's going to be a moment where you're going to be too late because the wedding feast is going to begin and you're going to be missing out doing all kinds of crazy crap thinking that you've got it all worked out. But here's what it says. For she, uh, for she has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. The fine white linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. What deeds are you doing to help this beautiful bride during that day of the feast? And then it says, and then the angel said, write this down. Here's what it says. When it says write this down, this needs to pre be preached to the church. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. If you accept Jesus and you follow Jesus and you love him and you learn to love the church, you are invited and you need to do your job to keep prepping to get to that place so that you can be a part of the most amazing wedding ever to be seen or ever to be a part of. The, choose, the choice is, do you care? Or is your stuff more important? What you're doing and what you're thinking about, is that more important? Most of the time, people are saying, yeah, what I do is more important. God's just a side piece. He's in the area. I'm going to be there. And until I die, I'm going to be preaching to all of us to get on that train so that we can all be in that wedding and celebrating the bride of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. The first part of the message was about how to love the church. The second part is how do we love the church. If we're his friend, son, and daughter, how do we do it? It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave his life up for the church. I need to give my life up, and I need to make her holy and clean, washed by the word. I got up this morning before I went through my message in practice, and before I did anything else, I got washed in the word, baptized by the words, flowing, living water, so that whatever I preached about was going to be from God and for God and through God. 
You've got to be washed in the word and make it part of your life. It's not cool. If you're under 45, it's not cool. If you're under 65, still not cool. If you're under 95, not cool. But that doesn't mean that you don't do it. We need to make sure that we're a part of that prepping. I don't want to get into this. I did it last service. But a bride gets prepped. She goes through steps to get to that place. And at the end of her prepping and resting well and getting her dress and all the preparation that she gets, at the end of all the prepping, there's this moment where she, the bride, walks with the father to be a part of the bridegroom and be unioned with them forever. We need to make sure we're part of that prepping to make sure that our life is whole and right. Christ has chosen the bride and the bride is the church and we, church, are the bride. And we need to understand that. Because God has made her one with him, we need to be one with Christ. This is a holy union. Now listen, humans, we aren't to hurt the bride. Why? Because you're hurting God. You're hurting Jesus. Listen, if you insult my wife, you're insulting me. And listen, if you insult me, you're insulting my wife. And God forbid you if you're insulting me. And my wife will come at you. She's got mind things going on that you're like, oh, man, you might be in trouble if you insult me. I promise you. (laughs) But let me give you an example that we see in the Bible that kind of makes this happen. Do you guys know Saul of Tarsus before he turned Paul? He persecuted the church. His job was to persecute and kill Christians. Acts chapter 8, people are stoning Stephen, and he's persecuting. Then he goes into 9 and says, let me go after all the Christians in the world and kill them and persecute them so that they'll never preach about Jesus Christ. He's persecuting and killing the church. He, and on his way to Damascus, full of anger and hate for Christians and struggle, he wants to damage and destroy all Christianity. He's blinded by this beautiful light. And when Christ spoke, he didn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? What did he say? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You're insulting my bride, and if you touch my bride, you're now touching me, and I'm going to come at you. Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus Christ. That's my bride, the church. Don't touch her, bro. What you do to the bride, you're also insulting the bridegroom or blessing the bridegroom. It can be an advantage. When you bless my wife, when you bless my kids, you're blessing me. When you bless me, you're blessing my wife. It's, it's both ways. The church is the bride of Christ, and when you're good to the bride, you're pleasing the bridegroom, and when you're pleasing the bridegroom, you're pleasing the father. It all goes hand in hand. Now, I want to kind of close with a story about this guy named Tom. He's a pastor. Everybody say pastor. This is a pastor writing about his relationship with God. And he's talking about it in this book, Ecclesia, which means church. And it's a pretty cool stuff, so I'm, I'm kind of put it up there so you can read it. He says, for a long time, everybody say pastor. This guy who's a pastor is on this spiritual journey. He said, I was separated, I separated my love for Jesus and my love, or more often my lack of love for the local church. And immersed in the tradition of what wonderfully emphasized personal beliefs in Jesus and following him in personal discipleship, he then says this, I finally grasped that I was also to love 
what Jesus loved. I was supposed to love what Jesus loved. This pastor who's been up on stage preaching says, I didn't really care for the local church. I just cared about personal relationships. And finally, he has this revelation. I need to love what Christ loves. He says, with that realization, I understood the teaching of the Holy Scripture more clearly. And I love this part. It says, the closer I walk with Christ, the nearer and dearer his beautiful bride, the local church becomes. When I'm in a relationship with Christ, all of a sudden, the church is so beautiful and so amazing. When I go on vacation a couple weeks ago, I'm looking Saturday night till midnight. Oh, there's an 8 o'clock I can go to, and then I can go to a 10. And then by the time the girls get up at 1130, I'll pick them up and we'll go to that church. I love the church. I don't want to just preach it. I want to be in it wherever I'm at, wherever in the world I'm at. The closer I get, the more I want to be a part of the church. So how do we love the church? He writes this. We truly love, what we truly love is not hard to determine. What we do, what we do, what do we dream about and talk about? What do we sacrifice for? What do we persistently pray for? What we truly love is evident in how we spend our resources of time, talent, and treasures. Really cool. Really awesome. And then here's what he says in this book. He says, we use the five loves as a grid. Everybody know the five loves? Gary, uh, Gary Chapman, five loves. Let me read the five loves. If your love is spoke about, will you cheer a woot woot or something? Here's the five loves if you know. These are the love languages that he writes about. Uh, receiving gifts. Nobody has that love language? Oh my gosh, this is a quality time. Words of affirmation. Acts of service. Physical touch. Seems like the same person. I was like all of them. But the truth is, I love that because when I read them, I'm about three or four of them. Right? And I need to be fluent in all of them. If I really want to love my wife, my wife likes one or two of them. But I want to be fluent in all the love languages so that I can fully love her. Because if I'm loving her, guess what happens? It comes back on me. When I'm fully loving Jesus, guess what happens? It comes fully back on me. Ten 30, 100 fold. So this man, Pastor Tom, uses these five love languages to help us look at how we love the church. And let me go through these really quickly so we can get out of here. But I think this is a really cool tool. This is a really powerful tool on how to look at the five love languages and really show you how you love the church. Words of affirmation. The first one is affirmation. How do you speak about the church? Do you speak of her well? How often do you speak of her in a critical spirit? And here's the one. If the church is your bride, how does Christ feel about the way you speak about his bride? Words of affirmation. What do you think about the church? Man, that's hard. The second one is time. In our schedule in Southern California, everybody's busy. You know what I hear all the time? Pastor Jeff, I know you're super busy. And you know what I say? I'm not that busy. I can make time. I can cancel a couple of appointments if you need time. I tell people all the time, I am busy. And I can, be, I can work 24-7 if I wanted to. But I also have time. Because I want to have time for Christ and his bride. Some of us are defined by our crazy cram schedule. And man, listen, I love kids. I love sports. I love education. I believe in all of them. But if they are cramming your schedule, you need to ask yourself, Take a look at your schedule. What are the values driving your schedule and your children's schedule? What are the fruits of your schedule? Ask yourself this. Here's the mind-blowing part about your time. How will you explain to Christ why my family had so little quality time for his bride when you get to heaven? If you can answer that question, keep your schedule up. 
If you can, you need to make some wholesale changes in your life. What are you going to do when Christ says, really, you didn't have any time for my bride? How dare you? The third one is gifts. And let me be clear, this is money. And this is your time and your talent. I don't know why. All day I've been so blessed because someone a long time ago in my faith taught me how to give. And every time I get paid, the first thing I do is I give to God. And that's not how I am. I am a selfish, yeah, I'll just say selfish man. I was going to say something else with like an S and an O and something. But today, I was just thinking about the other day. I'm like, I love to give. And more than to tithe as much as I can. And I don't have a lot of money. But someone a long time ago taught me about that. I love to give to my wife. I love to give to my kids. I love to watch my father-in-law give because he's such a giver. Someone teaches us that, and once you get that, it changes you from the inside out. And Yeah, it's about church, and that's how makes the church work, and that's not what we're talking about. When you give, you are pleasing the bridegroom and making the bride better, and it becomes a light to the world, and the world sees that a church is on fire, and your giving makes the fire go bigger, and our bigger fire shows that Christ is alive even as the church is dying so you got to ask yourself where do I give what am I giving how do I give the third one or fourth one is serving we do a pretty good job not great our church started with 30 people serving week in and week out we've grown it to about 65 the same 30 are still serving now nine years later we need to get to another 65 on top to that 130 people serving 150 people serving so you can give those people a break you need to ask yourself, where are you involved? What are you doing to make the bride better? How are you staying around or coming in early to make this bride work for the kingdom of God? I love her. Christ loves her. You need to love her. Serve her like she's your bride. And the last one, it says touch, physical touch. What does that mean for us as a church? Your presence. Your presence is important. Another way that you can help your local church is be present. About 38% of us, just under 40%, show up every week. Unless there's something crazy that happens. 20% stay two services. 60% or more, one to two weekends a month. And I'm not trying to convict you, but I guess I am. The church needs you, man. It needs your presence. When the seats are filled and it's not Easter, how do you think God feels? When the, search, the seats are filled and it's not Christmas or a Christmas play or a night of worship, God's excited because your presence is here. I need to tell you this story. My friend, his name's Jim. He's on his deathbed. And we were talking and his kids were there. And his kids were saying, you know what? My dad used to upset us. They had a sailboat, and they would be at Port Wainimi, and they'd be selling Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, spending their whole life on the boat. But you know what dad did every Sunday? At the time when it was the most fun on the harbor, he would pick their kids up and go, come on, kids, we're getting up and going to church. And they'd kick and scream as kids do. Not you, though, but I mean the other kids. <laughs> and you know what? Their, their two kids were there, and they were crying, going, I'm thankful for my dad. Put us to church every week and showed us how to go to church. And it's been a big part of their life, and they love the church because their dad loved the church. And if, you're, if you love the church and your kids love the church and your grandkids love the church, guess what's going to happen? 
We need to be present because we need to make sure that the church is alive. Listen, our church, the leadership here, the pastors here, we aren't going to let the church die. You might, we're not. We're going to preach if there's one person or 1,000 or 50 million, we're going to continue to preach. Even if the church starts closing the doors, we're going to preach because God has called us to preach. We need to be present. We need to be accountable. And I know we need to love the bride. Church clarified is, he is the, the bride is the church, and we need to love it. Let's close our eyes and pray. If you need a, a swift kick in the pants with your faith right now, will you raise your hand? Father, we stand before you today as hands are raised and not raised. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, you speak boldly into our heart and our mind and our soul. That you put the fire of Jesus and the burden of the bride on our heart. Teach us how to speak kindly and give and be present and, and honor our life with Jesus Christ so that the bride is, is, is a, a token, a beacon uh, in this community, Lord. Not just Journey, but all the churches all across this great country and world. Lord, if you're here today, if someone's here and doesn't know you and they want to accept Jesus and make them a part of this beautiful relationship, all they have to do is say a simple prayer. And the prayer goes like this. Repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul and be my Lord and Savior. I know that you died and you rose again for me. Anoint me with your Holy Spirit right now and teach me how to love you and love the church. Bring clarity in my heart so that the church becomes as important as you are, Lord. We love you, King Jesus, and all God's people said, amen.